0: So we recall that in much of the Old Testament, there was the sense that if you were poor, then God was punishing you. Your poverty was an outward sign of some sin, something you had done, or your family, or the tribe. Someone did something wrong and God was punishing you. Or if you were chronically ill, always having illness and sickness, that was an outward sign, a manifestation that God was punishing you for something you had done or failed to do. If you died young, a short life, that was an outward sign, surely that God was not satisfied with you. If you'd never married, that was a real problem. Or if you had children, but mostly girls, because boys carried on the family name. Too many girls, that was a problem. That was an outward sign that something was wrong with you, with your family. And everyone could see all this, like the leprosy of the Old Testament. It was an outward sign. Everyone could hold you up to public inspection. Look, there's a sinner. See, God's getting you. Everything was an open book, and you judge the book by its cover. So the outward signs were everything. And if, on the other hand, you had a long life, and you had many boys, and you had a good life, and prosperous, and all of that, that was a sign that God was approving you, that you were blessed, not cursed. So the open book policy, transparent, we would say, in our day. It's all there for everyone to see held up for public view and judgment. And added to this list was those who were tax collectors because these were Jewish men who had colluded with the Roman government to take up the tax against their own Jewish brothers and sisters. And they were hated, they were despised because they were seen as betrayers and the romans were smart as great civilizations are they they knew that it was tough to find tax collectors jewish tax collectors and so they allowed these tax collectors to keep a little bit of do re mi a la carte you know on the side you know uh, i'll tax you but then i kind of you know one for you two for me kind of thing so that's why it says in luke's gospel he was not only chief tax collector but a wealthy man Well, where did he get his wealth? Okay. This is the context now. And even Zacchaeus is looked upon as a sinner, a public display. You're a tax collector. We can't talk to you. We'll have nothing to do with you. You have betrayed us. You are evil. So here he is in the midst of this crowd. Now, when the gospel uses the word crowd, they mean uh, like a Nats Stadium event, okay? It's huge because Jesus is now very public and the word is out. He's been healing people. He has been preaching to people. He is a very attractive character. He's a very public person now, probably into his third year and final year of public ministry. Okay, at the age of 33. So here he is and the crowds are all around and they're all looking at Zacchaeus. Now Zacchaeus is a short guy. And so he says, I want to see this Jesus. I can't see through all the crowd. Keep the crowd in mind. It's symbolic in Luke's gospel, what the crowd represents. He can't see through the crowd. They're blocking his view. They don't want him close. They're pushing him away. He's a sinner. But he's a very smart guy. And so he says, I'll climb a tree. I'll run ahead of the crowd and get into position so when Jesus passes along the route, I can wave to him and he'll see me. So he does that. So he gets away from the crowd. Keep this in mind again. He is not going to let the crowd determine his desire to see Jesus. So Jesus comes along and Jesus knows that's Zacchaeus he knows he's the tax collector everyone knows who the tax collector is right like the IRS you can't get away from them so Zacchaeus he doesn't turn to any of the others he spots the sinner the public sinner the tax collector the rejected now what's Jesus doing he's also pointing to himself on a tree. See Zacchaeus is rejected. Zacchaeus is humiliated. Zacchaeus is judged and condemned. Oh, this is not just by coincidence. This is all the foreshadowing of Jesus on the tree who will be crucified, rejected, humiliated, mocked, despised, hated, and betrayed by his own. Interesting. Zacchaeus, come down from that tree. I want to spend supper with you tonight. Can you imagine what the crowds must have thought? In fact, we're told. The great verb, to grumble. I love that. They grumbled. Murmured. Welcome to Washington. (laughs) The murmuring. The style section. Right? He dined with a sinner. Jesus is going to the house of a sinner. Style section C3. Big story. Stay tuned. Yeah. Jesus doesn't care. He's not interested in the murmuring, the grumbling. He, he cuts through the crowd. He cuts through all of that. Zacchaeus had to cut through it too. He could have left the procession. He could have left the crowd. He could have said, I- I'm going home because no one loves me. No one understands me. No one accepts me. No one forgives. They all remember me as that bad boy. That evil person. But he didn't do that. He he was courageous. He had a lot of strength. He was determined to see Jesus. And Jesus was determined to see him. And they meet. And not just on the street. Jesus says, let me come to your home. In other words, open your heart to me and I will come to you. Now, friends, there'll be a lot of voices, again, the crowd of our culture, that would like to say, you don't need a Savior. You don't need God. You don't need the church. You don't need the priesthood, because you don't need the Eucharist. Or the sacraments. You don't need a parish with all this expensive art and architecture. What a waste. And an organ, come on. Spend the money on something more important. Spend your time doing something more you know, productive than coming to church on a Sunday. You're using your religion as a crutch. You don't need the church. You don't need a savior. You can save yourself, says the culture. Right? Because in the end, the culture will say, well, religion is all about basically ethics do good, go to heaven, do bad, go to hell. I don't need that. I can be good without the church, I don't need the church to be good. In a way, that's correct if that's what you mean by religion or faith. Namely, good works. But that's not Christian faith. That's called ethics. That's good. And there's a function of ethics in religion, but don't reduce our religion to do good, get rewarded, do bad, go to hell. Uh Uh-uh. No. See, the culture doesn't understand what religion really is doesn't understand what faith really is, doesn't understand what the church really is, doesn't understand what the priesthood, doesn't even understand what a parish is all about. Here we are celebrating our 150th parish anniversary in this year, and we're so privileged this afternoon at 5 p.m. to have an internationally famed theologian, great writer, George Weigel, coming to St. Anne's at 5 p.m. to tell us in his experience, in his intellect and wisdom, his observation as he studied this whole phenomenon of a parish, what makes a Catholic parish? What's the identity and mission of a Catholic parish? I hope you can come. Because what he has to say and what we're talking about here is to challenge the culture that doesn't understand, it's so ignorant, it really is. Every time I pick up the paper or I just say, oh, "I wish they could understand." And that was the frustration of Jesus with the crowds. They couldn't understand that God wants to save us, doesn't want to condemn us, and is not about judging the book by its cover. So poor people are not condemned by God. any more than wealthy people are blessed by God the uneducated the chronically ill they're not condemned by God any more than the educated and the well-to-do and the healthy are blessed by God now this is what our Lord is trying to cut through the crowds cut through the the forests and all the cobwebs and all the confusion that the culture would like to in his day and our own today, to keep us from seeing him as he is, as he truly is, a loving, merciful, compassionate savior. See, we need a savior. That's why God sent his only son. We didn't need another philosopher. We've had Aristotle, Plato, Socrates, we've had a whole list of them in the Western world and in the East. We've had these for centuries, millennia. We don't need someone else to tell us how to live the good life, the happy life. That's all out there. We didn't need someone to solve our economic problems because God would have sent someone from the Wall Street Journal. We didn't need someone to fix our ills and our bodies and our chronic pains he would have sent us a brilliant doctor no he sent us a savior now God doesn't play around he's not just doing that because he has nothing else to do God sends us a savior because we are in sin and Zacchaeus got that Zacchaeus knew that Zacchaeus knew that he was a thief he acknowledges it I'll give back to the poor and, and if I've extorted anyone, and I have, I'll pay them back four times over. Why? Because, Lord, I have experienced your mercy, your forgiveness, your acceptance, your love of me. What now can I do in return for the favor you've shown me? He doesn't just run away and say, oh boy, that was a good day. Can't wait to make some more money. No, he's willing now to divest himself. He's willing to let himself go. And Jesus is amazed. And says, today salvation has come to this house, the house of a sinner. The crowds are murmuring. He can't forgive sins, can he? Oh, yes, he can. Because this man, too, is a descendant of Abraham, Jesus says. In other words, we're all sinners. The crowd as well. No one is more righteous. The moment you think you're more righteous, you've just sinned. But I'm so holy. No, you're not. And that's the beauty of it in paradox. Paradox. See, Christians can rejoice, hear me out, Christians rejoice in their sinfulness. What, yeah. Oh, happy fault, oh, necessary sin of Adam that has gained for us so wonderful a redeemer. Had it not been for sin, friends, there would have been no need for a savior. The world would have been a beautiful place, a perfect place, perhaps. No need for a savior when there's no sin. But thank God in the paradox of faith for Adam and Eve. Thank God they messed it up. What? Yeah. Because then we have the new Adam, born of the new Eve, to save us from sin. Finally, I think back to the crowd and the murmuring and grumbling. You all know that we live in Washington where people will say things either to your face or about you, a lot of gossip. And they'll say, you know, I, I, I can't associate with you because you voted for X. Uh, you're a Republican, you, you should be ashamed of yourself. Have you ever heard of that one? Uh, I can't talk to you because you don't make enough money Well, let's, honey, not associate with them. They really are kind of second class. Whatever. Nothing has changed. You and I live amidst the crowds. And sometimes we get caught up into that. We start using labels like that. And we, 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 we set up the walls that don't allow people to see Jesus. Just as much as they did to Zacchaeus. And so we've got to climb trees. Get higher ground. Move on. Get away from the crowds. Stop drinking the Kool-Aid. There's so much of that out there. It'll make you sick. Get away from the crowd. Walk away from the crowds. Don't listen to too many sound bites. Be careful. Discern. Read the scriptures. Pray. Stay with Jesus. And he'll say to you, I want to dine with you in your heart. In fact, isn't that what he's doing right now? He's chosen to dine with us in his home where he welcomes all the sinners and the saints, the living and the dead, and shows mercy without partiality. All we can say is that, Lord, I am not worthy to receive you. I'm not even worthy that you come under my roof of my heart. Say but the word, and my soul shall be healed.